It's Monday, May 22nd again, and this is Season 7, Episode 36 of the Four Star Spurs Podcast. I'm your host, Cy. With me is Lucas. Hello, hello, hello. I have Catherine here. Hello, everyone. And everybody, it's welcome to this Four Star Spurs podcast. We are going to do a quick little, uh, little hello and goodbye to you because we recorded this whole thing for about 40 minutes and had a lovely conversation about the game, which, by the way, probably didn't even need to be spoken of. We talked about the players. We talked about who did well, who didn't do well. We all saw the, the, the match. Um, you probably don't need to listen to it anyways. I think the second half of the discussion was great. But I kind of want to summarize it for you a little bit, and I'm going to let Lucas start off with what he thought went down in that first half conversation. Yeah, so for everyone that doesn't know, we had a brilliant conversation about that, uh, that uh, what's it, Brentford game. But the main thing that I took away was, yeah, again, game of two halves. We couldn't do anything. I think our lack of formation, our lack of health uh, really limits us in terms of halftime adjustments. Uh, my main things that I spoke about were the fact that when we are as injured as we are and we're as limited in bodies and we only have one formation that we don't have the luxury of making any real halftime adjustments that don't involve a massive formation switch. And I think that caught us out against Brentford. They are able to just tweak one or two things. And I just don't see any manager going into a half up one nil and making a lot of adjustments on our side. So I think that was the big thing. And the other thing I discussed was how in the hell it's taken over 70 free kicks from Harry to realize that, Maybe a guy running and moving the ball a little bit for him would be a good idea. I mean, it's taken, <laughs> taken seven years for us to figure out that, yeah, maybe somebody just comes running in, gets the defense to move a little bit, and then does a back heel and moves the ball two yards for him. And that would be a genius idea. But, yeah, that was basically my takeaways from that game. Well, <laughs> and as Lucas said, I think that we all were in agreement that it is a tale of two cities. Well, two halves, as Lucas mentioned, that uh, first half was lovely, uh, positive movement, a lot of forward movement, a lot of good takeaways, um, not necessarily literally, but good takeaways from the match. And then due to Brentford switching it up a little bit, then we were uh, pushed back and we could not respond to their offense and and their midfield and so definitely disappointments but again takeaways that we can improve on and uh as you hear in the second half of the recording that um it's it's hopeful i i think it's good to be a Tottenham hotspur fan at this moment because there is a lot to look forward to despite games like brentford Lucas? Yeah, and I think I think the tale of two halves could be the – that could be – if you wrote a book about this season, I think that's probably the best title for it. I mean, it's it's very interesting. I pose this to listeners. Think about every every like home and, away, uh, home and away leg that we've played against a team this year. Now that we only have leads as the last game coming up, you can look at each one of those games. Like, we'll use Brentford as an example. We looked really good against Brentford in that first half, and we looked really shit in the second half. First time we played Brentford – Right after, I think it was the first game after the World Cup break, we looked like absolute shit for the first half, and we looked great for the second half. It'd be really interesting to see if you look back at our season, if you could just select one one half 
from each of the legs that we played, take one half from each and you put it together and you're looking at probably 19 amazing football games. It's just such a shame that we have had such a crazy bipolar season in terms of these individual games where it's one half we look fantastic, the other half we look like shit. And it's funny because in the first half of the season, it was the other way around. We always looked poor in the first half and then would come out gangbusters in the second half. This second half of the season, now it seemed to flip. We can we can give you about 45 minutes or we can give you 15 minutes, take a 45-minute nap, and then we look great for the last 15 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, I had, if you had to tell me, write a book about this season, I'm like, Tale of Two Halves is just... It's just <laughs> kind of like this podcast episode, too. Yeah. It really <laughs> is. Um, so, well, t- to finish talking about the Brentford match, because we did get into detail, but we're not going to do it again. I want to give credit to Brentford. I want to give credit to a lot of teams just finding ways to exploit Tottenham. And, and that we've been so vulnerable all year. I mean, I do love you boys. I do love the Tottenham Spurs. But Jesus, oh, we are so vulnerable. And every single team at half seems to find a way to kind of take it to us. And Frank is a f- phenomenal coach. And maybe he'll be our coach next year. We did not get into the coaching uh, regime. That's going to be the, 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 the carousel of Tottenham Hotspur this summer. Uh, in this in this podcast, we'll spare you that. But um, Tottenham needs to make change, and we're going to talk about that in the second half. We're going to fly right into Luke Flocks, and Catherine's going to tell us all about the Lady Spurs in a second. But thank you, too, again, for being on this, and uh, listen to the conversation coming up at halftime. We'll see you soon. All right, welcome back to Luke's Locks for the final edition of the season. We got some overs to take this week and a lot of action on the line on all going to be Sunday games. So make sure you get your last bets in for the season. First up this week is going to be an over bet. We're going to take over three and a half goals in Arsenal at home to Wolves on Sunday. Wolves sits comfortably safe at 13th place. They won't have anything to play for, but are always capable of getting a goal or two. Arsenal, I'm happy to report, have bottled the league this year and will likely want to have a final good game at home to show their fans. So I think we'll see an open game with plenty of chances and plenty of goals. So lock in over three and a half in Arsenal at home to Wolves. Next up is going to be Everton minus a half goal at home to Bournemouth. Everton sit two points safe at 17th place. There's a good chance that even with that goal differential or because of goal differential, that a draw will not be good enough for them. So they'll likely be going all in to grab three points to guarantee their safety. Bournemouth has nothing to play for, and Everton being at home, I lead me to believe that Everton will come out on top, so take Everton minus the half goal at home to Bournemouth. Third game is going to be another over. We're going to take over two and a half goals in the game between our beloved Tottenham on the road at Leeds. Leeds are in 19th and have everything on the line, and unfortunately, we know what our shambolic defense is capable of. Expect a big game from Kane on what will likely be his last game for Spurs. So look for goals aplenty and take over two and a half in Spurs and Leeds at Ellen Road. Final game is going to be over again, two and a half goals in the game between West Ham away to Leicester. Leicester sit two points behind Everton in 18th place. Nothing but a win and a bit of help can save them at this point. Leicester have no choice but to press forward for goals which will undoubtedly expose their horrific defense as well. So look for several goals in this one and take over two and a half in West Ham away at Leicester. There you have it. There's your final Luke's locks for the season. Let's go get rich kids. 
And hi, everyone. I'm Catherine, and I'm back with another edition of the Spurs Women Update. And since it's been about three months since I've been on the podcast, and then even before then, six months within the last time I did it one, thanks to life getting busy, I've not given proper dedication to my women's team updates, so I do apologize. It's been an honor, though, to have watched the women's team for so long from the in the U.S. or at different grounds in London, and I hope to get back into painting a better picture for Spurs women, the trials and tribulations, as well as the joys and highlights for you next season. Alas, it's been a while since my last update, so I'm not going to go through each individual match and each individual player, at least right now, and give you a rundown of what we're looking at, but I do have a small update for you all with probably the most important news for the Spurs women's side, that after the men's Brentford match, which I know some people did not stay around for, but Spurs women played a Reading side that surely didn't want to go down, albeit alongside the Spurs women's side that needed to secure points this weekend so as not to also be relegated and be in a final match day relegation battle. And that's right. As I've been away, Spurs women dug themselves into a hole. From the end of March, there was a bad streak of games up until this past weekend against Reading at least with full-time results, having clocked a 5-1 loss on March 25th against Arsenal and a 2-1 loss against Everton on April 2nd. Following those two losses, there were two draws, with a 3-3 draw against Aston Villa on the 23rd of April and a 2-2 draw against Brighton on April 29th. And then finally, of course, another loss, 3-0 against Manchester United on May 7th. Therefore, this season's penultimate match a 4-1 win against Reading was a welcome result after a lot of poor poor performances. This season has certainly been a large disappointment with lots of injuries and despite some good teamwork and amazing goals, there were many disappointing late equalizers or game winners from the opponents that could have been avoided. However, something that should be highlighted and shines a light on the disparities of money and recruitment and scouting in the women's game, as much as it probably does in the men's game, is the addition of former Chelsea and lethal England national team member with 45 goals in 99 appearances to her name for the West London team, Beth England. She's, for all intents and purposes, kept Tottenham women up in the Women's Super League, grabbing crucial goals in vital games, especially here at the end of the season. Now, I have lots of thoughts regarding the Spurs women team and how Tottenham Hotspur runs it, and Daniel Levy and Enoch, and how they see the women's team. Um, But as previously mentioned, I have an affection toward the team, having seen them play in person and having followed the team for years, that I will surely have future episodes to espouse many of my thoughts and ideas and possible solutions to the women's team. But for now, I'm going to leave you with the facts that Tottenham Hotspur women, after the win against Reading women post-Brentford match for the men, that they lost, um, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, saw that the women's team are safe from relegation. So they will be in the women uh, the Women's Super League next season. Like the men's team, the women's team, despite the lack of monetary investment and player engagement as the team needs more players like Beth England or those who have been at the club for a while like Ashley Neville or newly healthy Kit Graham, uh, that there's a chance to bring in more fans and players who desire to be part of the club like we see with the men's side. Um, okay, so now that I'm done with my mini rant concerning Spurs women, I'll n- now finally let you know about the final match of the season. As previously stated, we're safe from relegation, 
And it's the last day of the Super Women's, Women's Super League. So if you're available, make your way to Chigwell Construction Stadium as Spurs women play away at West Ham on Saturday, May 27th. If you're in London, it'd surely be a great bumper weekend of football with Spurs women on Saturday away and then the men's team on Sunday away at Leeds. So might as well, maybe. Just an idea. Um, all right, that's enough for me. I didn't get any questions, so... Uh, yeah, that's all. But remember, you can always reach out to me whenever, uh, whether it's this men's team, Spurs women, or even if you have questions regarding traveling to matches from the U.S. or chatting and anything Spurs. So feel free to message me on Twitter at Catherine Rupp for questions or comments or to say hi. And that's all for me. Come on, you Spurs. Let's get the second half rolling. And what I want to say, first of all, is thank you to Lucas and Catherine for their times. Luke's locks are definitely locks. You might want to put your money on those. And Catherine, kick ass. Uh, can't wait to hear more about the ladies' team. I wish I knew more, but I love listening to you about it. So I, I need to listen to you more often about the ladies' squad. So here's what I want to do, guys. I want to talk about really quickly, and we don't have to, we don't have to batter each other about this, but I want to kind of leave the season alone and talk about what our aspirations are and what we kind of want to see done in the next month or so after the season's over. Um, what kind of people we want to bring in, what kind of people you think the team needs, um, the management, the, I don't want to go into depth about the coaching search because it's, a, it's a chaos and that's, that's Tottenham Hotspur's coaching searches. That's just what it is now. Um, and so um, let's, go into seasons done and we're going to do player development. Who are you guys looking to bring in? Any, any names off the top of your heads that you're thinking could really suit this squad? Anybody that's out there? Um, Lucas, you got anybody like you could, you could draw. I'll, I'll start by, I'll, actually I'll start by saying, I really think Madison's going to be a, a perfect candidate to be a Tottenham Hotspur. I think he's young enough, still fast enough, skilled enough. Um, Maybe slightly poor man's Erickson in his prime, but even that is pretty damn good. Um, that's a position I could see us really needing. It doesn't have to be Madison, but uh, somebody like that. Anybody else have a, a name to drop? Go ahead, look. So for me, it's not as much. It, it, it's difficult to say a name to drop right off the bat because, like you said, I would love to have Madison. Um, he's English, which helps too, um, although that might hawk the price up a little bit. But who knows if Lester get relegated? They might have no choice but to try and make some money there and get rid of a fire sale deal. He but don't. It's just the big thing for me is it's it's going to be difficult to start naming names until we have the manager search complete and we kind of know where we want to start in terms of what our style is going to be. Um, because again, look at look at Basuma last summer. Basuma, when we got Basuma, we were all thinking, hell yeah, we knew exactly what he's capable of doing. We saw him do it at Brighton. We saw him do it against us in our own stadium for Brighton. So we knew exactly what he was capable of, but then he comes into a Conti system that's asking him to do stuff that he's not comfortable with and he didn't fit into, and he becomes a waste of a player for the entire season. So, I mean, Basuma himself, who knows? He could be a whole new signing basic in terms this summer. So it, it's difficult to kind of say who you want to start looking at until, I mean, otherwise you could, you could always say your center backs are a pretty that's a pretty easy one. doesn't really matter what the system is. If you have some quality center backs, that's going to be something we'll need. Um, there's a lot of areas to address. I think for me, the big thing that I want to see is 
early, get our manager in early, and then see what we want to start filling out in terms of what areas he needs to strengthen uh, to fit his style of play. But the big thing that I want to see is turnover. I want to see a lot of guys out, and I want to see a lot of guys in because it's there's there's something that's been amiss with this group of guys for too long now. And as much as it pains me to say, I think Harry Kane should probably go. Um, he's been the best thing that I've ever seen in my life in any sport, and I'm so grateful for the time we've gotten from him. But I think, to be honest, Harry's probably masked a lot of inefficiencies in our own team. Harry's brilliance at multiple positions has masked. If you take away some, like Harry's, without Holland, Harry's probably on one of the best seasons I've ever seen from a striker this season. And it's like, if you take away his moments of brilliance this year, we're not looking at seventh or eighth. We're looking at 13th or 14th. Like we have a lot of inefficiencies and I don't want to see us try and just patch guys, patch little holes here and there. I think we really do need to tear this thing down and start from square one. And I, I think that if we try and nickel and dime our way around and patch a hole here, and it, it's going to be like trying to put band-aids on bullet wounds. We really do need to get a lot of turnover done and start building this thing from square one. Catherine. I, ooh, ah, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, audio issues. Sorry. Um, I think that uh, one area that has been neglected for a long time has been goalkeeper. And I know that because it's not a sexy position, like striker or even uh, having a, an Erickson like midfielder that it's not something that we've been looking at, but Hugo is in his mid thirties and on his last year of his contract and we otherwise have Forster and he's also on a one-year contract. And um, other than that, I think we just have Brandon Austin and Alfie Whiteman, I believe who are two Academy players, but they're nowhere near ready for a premier league play. And uh, like that should have been addressed two, three seasons ago because you know that because Hugo is getting up in age and that we don't necessarily, or we didn't necessarily have a, a backup that was okay with just sitting around that we should have been looking for an actual replacement and not just a backup. Um, and so I think that's one area that n not many people have been mentioning because our, we have other areas on the pitch that are needed and necessary to call out but also there there's a reason why uh goalkeeper is such a uh, that hugo's had that position because he's strong and he's been with us for like a decade now and so i think because he's always been there people just expect him to be there and we're going to need to address that um, I don't know if necessarily we'll do it this summer, but it might be a January transfer window type of uh, selection. I hope it's not, but I do think that that is an area that um, we do need to focus on. Lucas? Yeah, I, th I think that's a good shout. Cause, um, and there's a thing that's unique about Hugo. It's I think that because he's been such an incredible shot stopper for us, 
it kind of masks the point that he's actually been at times he's almost been he hurts us by his inability to play out from the back and distribute the ball it actually hurts the way we've been trying to play and it becomes detrimental in a sense so it's like uh, it, it's a double-edged sword on one side you're saying well he is very good at shot stopping but he's actually hurting the way that we should have been playing for the last year or two and and Catherine mentioned it is a it's not one of those positions that you can just look past. Look at what Liverpool did a few years ago when they went to the Champions League final with Karius as their goalkeeper, and he cost them a couple of goals against Madrid. And then that summer they went out and they spent $70 million on a goalkeeper. And the next year they go in the Champions League, the year, and then they win the Premier League. So it's, it is a position that if you can find the right guy that fits into your system and plays the way you want him to, it's, I mean, it's, it's a... It's a big position that's going to cost money. Good goalkeepers don't just grow on trees. And if you want to be on the top level with some of these teams, you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to probably pay for a top quality goalkeeper. Unfortunately, we can get into that conversation, but I just I don't see us spending the money. I think we'll probably get Forrester again and we'll try and we'll try and put this off as long as we can. We'll probably get Forrester on a free again for another one year deal and then say, hey, as far as we can, we'll probably put that off as long as possible until it's time for us to basically have to go buy someone. But I think we'll probably focus on the other areas first and put that, pick that can further on down the road. Which is hilarious saying that Allison was bought for 70 million and we bought Richarlison for 70 million and people bitch about Richarlison. And I can't imagine people being happy if we spent 70 million on a goalkeeper. <laughs> well, if you spend 70 million on a goalkeeper, he better damn well be what you're paying for. And and it's 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 not fair for us to bitch about Richardson because we never we don't use him. <laughs> we we spent 70 million on a guy that maybe comes in for 10 15 minutes at the mm-hmm. end of the So that's what yeah, we got. there's a lot that I want to see us spend on this summer, but the number one thing is we have to spend correctly and that's something that we don't always have the best track record of doing. We have a lot of hits and a lot of misses. But for the position we're in, we really can't afford these misses anymore. We can't be, we can't have any more Indombales or Lacelsos or if we're going to spend big money, we better have, it better damn well be backed by our manager and he better damn well have a position for him and be confident that that guy can come in and do the job. Well, and yeah. Lucas, you, you hit on something just very briefly, you breeze by it, but that Madison's English and that we need the quota of people who are homegrown, technically, quote-unquote, homegrown because of the Premier League bylaws and re- regulations of, of teams. And and so I know that some people, myself included, I tend to go back and forth between I want to just gut the team and then also we need to have a spine of not necessarily the actual spine of the team, but like a spine of good players that are going to be there and as the foundation. But we do need to be cognizant that we can't just let everybody go because then where are we going to like cobble up random people who are English that we don't know anything about who are cheaper than some others, but then like we can't and we don't want to Frankenstein monster this because otherwise it's going to be an, an actual monster on the pitch. Yeah, that's a really good shout, and and the goalkeeper's a great shout. Um, I think Lucas made a really great point earlier about let's figure out our manager ASAP because the only thing I can keep thinking about is we have brought in people. 
what people don't realize is that we have spent money. Now, have we spent like top four money? No, but we've spent a lot of money. And then Poch wanted Ndombele, and then LaCelso comes in, and then a new manager comes in, and then he gets, like like Lucas said, a Band-Aid to cover up a bullet wound. And here comes two people that might help his cause, and it's really not enough. And then Conte comes in, and he gets a couple more Band-Aids to do his little little witchcraft thing he's got going to win, to win trophies. And it's just Band-Aided up every single little thing where we haven't had – um, a coach coming in and be like, okay, here's my system. I need to gut this thing. I need to start anew, and here's what I need, and then go from there. Lucas, go ahead. Well, I, and that's a, that's a good point too, Sai, because the, the thing with me and when I say we need to bring in a new manager, the thing that we need to do and the reason that I say, yeah, Catherine, you're right. We can't just gut it completely because, A, we know Levy's not going to take a loss on a lot of players. It's just not something he does. Um and then you also know that we do have to meet our English quota somehow or another, um, which is, I mean, something that we've also proven that we're not really capable of. I mean, <laughs> even the shit that we had with Doherty last year during the transfer window, it's like we didn't even know how many guys we had out on loan. Like, th- that is just a criminal mistake that somebody should have been keeping an eye on. And then we have to let him walk on a free. But there's just the, – the main thing is that we need to – the reason I say rip it all down and start over is because with that – comes the lowered expectations of giving a manager time to implement his shit. What we've tried to do, and I've used that Band-Aid for bullet wound thing again, is as soon as we got rid of Poch, we plugged in Jose right away. And with that, we also just, we didn't really gut the team or make too many changes. So we then basically expected it to be like, well, we just came from a Champions League final. Jose, why don't you have us there yet? And then shit went haywire again, but we still had most of the same core players. Then we bring in Nuno and we bring in a couple of players that fit Nuno's system, but he only lasts for two months. And then all of a sudden we got guys like Royale that don't fit into Conte's system or guys like uh, even um, what's his face. Uh, why am I blanking on this? Um, Spanish kid. Jesus. Uh, oh, Reg- um, so it's like, yeah, we got like guys like Regulon that like now don't fit. We, we were all excited about like, well, he was a Conte guy. Now he's playing in his third manager in less than a year. And it's like it's chaos. So you need to, as much as I don't want to say, follow the Arsenal method, what Arsenal did is they put their faith, they put their faith in their manager and they said, look, do it, do it. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be ugly. We're going to have to have Spurs be finishing above us. We're going to be in and out of Europa. We might not have it all figured out right away, but we're going to get a good core of young players in. We're going to teach them our system and we're going to grow. And then what did they do this year? It finally all clicks and they're beating the hell out of teams. So it's, it's going to be when we bring in somebody new, we have to give him the reins and give him time. It takes time for managers to implement their system. Klopp didn't come into Liverpool and just start cranking out trophies. We finished above him for like the first three years that he was there. They didn't get a trophy until four years in. It was, it's the same thing. Unless you have Man City or Newcastle money, you're not just going to be able to plug in a manager, buy whoever you want, and all of a sudden be good. United's going to have to have – they're going to give Ten Hag time. It's, it's going to take time. Sir Alex Ferguson back in the day was almost sacked because he wasn't getting the job done and it took him a couple years to actually get shit moving and get his system implemented. So that's why I said I want to see a lot of turnover. It, it, it almost is just about getting some of this group core group of guys that's been here for too long. They need to go. And it's, it's unfortunate because as much as I love Harry Kane and I'm grateful for everything that he's done for us at the same time, we're not, we haven't won anything with him. Same thing with Sun. These guys aren't guys that are 
serial like trophy winners. It's the same thing we've had now with different managers. The common denominator has been these players, and it's the same type of thing. We know we're going to go to Anfield and lose. We know we're going to go to Chelsea and lose. We know we're not going to go win at Arsenal. Why? What's the big thing? Even when they suck, even if they're not having a good year, it's like we have these things that we just know off the bat that this group of players is not going to go to Stamford Bridge and win. Even if Chelsea blows, it's just like like they do this year. We know it's just like, well, we're not going to go get a win against them. So there's something going on with this group of players that it's like we've had multiple managers in that we can't sort. So I'm like, it it is kind of time that we need to start over, get a new manager in, get a new philosophy, have some of these young guys learn the system, learn what their manager wants them to do, and then we build from there. And we got to have patience as a fan base and be like, we might finish seventh or eighth next year. It might not be pretty, but if we have time and we kind of bring a manager in that has an idea of where he wants us to go, I mean, that's our best option as opposed to just trying to go out and get a few more signings. And then with our injury record, it turns into shit within six months. Like, yeah, no, I, I agree, Lucas. And, and, and I think as a fan, people have trouble digesting the idea of a true rebuild. A true rebuild takes time, four or five years to kind of get your club back. And, and, we're, and we're not that far away from being great. But like you said, the squad is just in desperate need of turnover. Um, and so a, a manager would do that. Now, here's here's the deal with what, what um, Arsenal has done. They brought in a manager who is Arsenal through and through, and he happens to be Pep Guardiola's, um, you know, protege. And so what they said was, we're going to bring in a guy who is, is us and he's learned from theoretically one of the best and we're going to give him the time and effort. So I'm not sure there's a Tottenham ish coach out there that we could be like, okay, you're going to take the reins for the next five seasons. And uh, we're going to give you all the time in the world because the fan base loves you. And, and uh, you know, we don't have to win today. We can win in a few years, not even tomorrow. Um, I don't even know if that's even possible with our fan base to take. But to, to, to go along the lines of the turning the squad over, I want to talk about the idea of Eric Dyer's being talked about being re-signed again. Um, we have a bunch of old-timers like Davies, who I do love, um, on the squad. Um, and the, the likes of Oliver Skip, the likes of, um, I guess, I mean, Harry Kane, obviously. Son has been here for a million years now. Um, and, and uh, those guys, at some point you got to make a change to kind of lively up the group. Now, I don't, I don't think Harry Kane is somebody I want to lose, but, um, to your point, Lucas, if it takes losing him to rebuild and give us an identity, because he's only got three or four solid more years at that position in him, if that, um, and then he's going to fall back into the midfield. Is it time to sell him? Is it time? He's only got a year left in his contract. Is it time to get rid of him? I don't know. Um, that's not my job. But I want to. I want to discuss like the the likes of Eric Dyer. Um, what's your guys' thoughts on on the resigning of, of a of a player like that who's been Tottenham forever and is not a bad player. He's just not an everyday guy. Like who do you want to turn over? Go ahead, Lucas. Well, I'll touch on both of that real quick. The first thing I'll say is. When you touched on the fact that there isn't a guy out there that's like Tottenham through and through that we can sign, that's okay. That's totally okay. It's not like Pochettino was Tottenham through and through when we got him. But every manager, if he comes here and he meets and he starts building and the Tottenham fans embrace him, then they become Tottenham through and through. 
So it, it'll take time that way. It's not like we're just going to find some, there's not some magical coach out there that's just a football guru that is just loves, has a Spurs tattoo above his heart, but <laughs> be the job, like I'll do it. But, um, <laughs> but and then the other thing though, is when you touched on Dyer, guys like that are important to have in your squad especially guys like Dyer and Davis uh, because, or even, uh, even um, Emerson guys that can play multiple positions, guys that offer that manager a bit of flexibility saying, Oh, you know what? Someone's had a couple of games in a row. He could use a rest. Let's let's put Emerson at full, or at center back today. Like you, you need those guys that are able to be like multi-tools and can play a couple of different positions. The problem is if you're trying to build your team for the future and you're saying, I want Eric Dyer as one of my day in day out starting center backs, then you can probably kiss top four dreams goodbye. That's not, yes. not going to cut it at the top level. But it is a guy that you should be able to have on your bench and say, you know what, Romero needs a break. We're playing Burnley at home. Let's throw out Dyer today. Or we're playing a lower league side. We don't, we're probably going to have most of the ball. I can trust Dyer to slot in. Those are the guys that you need on your squad, but you cannot have them be in your starting 11 week in and week out because they're just going to get decimated by some of these higher level teams. Yeah, well, and yeah. that's what that's what happened when... Pochettino came in too. Like, I think people forget that he froze players out. He didn't play people. And those people, and we also did have players who, like what Lucas is saying, like a Dyer and a Davis and a Royal, they can play multiple positions in different formations. And so that's important. But also, those are the players who are good for the dressing room for the locker room and they're not going to be playing every game. Like they're just going to be bench players and sit and be warm underneath the blankets on the, on the bench. And so I don't see anything necessarily wrong with having Dyer sign on another contract. And especially because as we've all mentioned like 10 minutes ago that we need to make sure that we have the right amount of players and the right amount of, I, I know Dyer isn't necessarily homegrown, but like we need those players. And one way to do that is to make sure that they sign on for one year contracts. Like it's, it's not a five year contract people. Like it's a one year contract. The world will not burn. Well, it might, but um, okay. not because of Dyer. That's for sure. Yeah. Lucas. Well, another thing is, in terms of guys selling, it's it's not just something that's unique to football, but it's it's unique to all sports across the board. Where there's there's a right time. There's a you see that time and time again, the best teams with the best front offices are the ones that realize the right time to let go of players. We as fans, we forget that this is also we we, we it's hard for us to take the emotional side of it saying, I don't want Kane to go because it's Harry Kane. It's going to break my heart out of my chest to watch him put on another shirt, especially if it's a Premier League shirt. It's going to kill me. That being said, this is the right time to let him go. He's not going to be a part of our future anymore because if, if, if we do the rebuild like we should, he's not going to be there in the long term. This is the last window that we can really get some money out of him. We're looking at maybe 50 tops at this point, 50 mil, but because he's got one year. We've had a really bad track record of missing our window to sell. And that's something that Levy's not done well. He's done a lot of good things for us. He's done a lot of bad things. But one of the bad things is we've missed our opportunity to sell. Erickson should have been gone the window before. Dembele should have been gone the window before. There are lots of guys that we should have let go. And 
once you miss that opportunity, even though it might not make complete sense at the time in terms of the fan being like, why would we let Harry go last summer or something? It's like, well, because like, look at what like Liverpool did when they, uh, who they, was it Coutinho that they let go or that they sold? Yeah. And everyone talked about a million. Yeah. Like, why would you let him? He's like one of the best center. Well, they took that money that they made. They made a King's ransom for him. And then they took that money and invested it in a goalkeeper and a center back that shirred up their back line. And all of a sudden they just were a thousand times better. So if, if you take the emotions out of it, which is, I know, very mm-hmm. difficult for us as fans, but you got to hit those windows, take the money, the most money that you can for some guys at sometimes, take that money and reinvest it in your squad in the right places. And it can make you, yeah, it's, it's hard for us to even imagine us being a good team without Harry Kane. But if we took, if we got a lot of money for Harry and we patched up a couple of different areas, we could actually be a better team for it, especially for our future. And the same goes for Sun. It would break my heart to watch Sun play for another team. But Sun also has that money that's attached to him because of the South Korea thing. Because of you get you get an extra twenty million tagged on him just for the income that you're going to be bringing. Because every you've been to the you guys have been to the new stadium. You guys have watched the games. There's the amount of business and money that you make for having Sun on your team from just South Korean fans buying merchandise, coming to games, like. It's you get an extra lump of money on that when you sell them. So if you would sell them for 40, you, it becomes 60 just because of that South Korean tag that he brings with him. So it's like if we were to sell Kane and Son this summer, reinvest in our squad, maybe we say we make Richarlson our go-to guy. We find out what his strongest position is and we play him there. There are ways to do it that, yeah, it sucks to say I don't want to see Kane and Son playing for other teams, but sometimes it you need to take that emotion out of it and do what's best for the team. And unfortunately that could be selling a couple of guys that mean the world to us this summer, because we can't miss that window again and have what, what is four, what's four or five more. Say we sold Harry in January. We're not expecting to have a big season next year or top results, or we're not expecting to finish top four next year, especially with the addition of Newcastle. Chelsea just spent 700 million. They'll be back. So we're looking at like seven powerhouse teams that are going to be competing for the top of the league next year. We're probably not going to be one of them. So what's the point of keeping Harry for one more year of nostalgia and say he bashes in a couple of goals and we feel great about it and then we sell him for $15 million in January? Well, why not just sell him for fifty now and actually reinvest that money and start building towards the future? Those Which are the is I, you got to do. I think that you make a good point, though, that for nostalgia's sake, we can't keep players. But also, may I remind you that when Kyle Walker left, and I understand that he didn't leave with, like, great fanfare, uh, but we all call not we all, but many fans called him a snake. And then... Oh, you're not like, me. <laughs> I right. Was, I, that was the record that any defensive player had ever been sold for. Right, but then... <laughs> you... You recognize that football fans are so fickle because we're not looking at football as a business for the most part. Some fans understand it, but like you're saying, nostalgia is, is, a it's, it's a tough mirror to look at because it's like a Monet. Like it look, it can look beautiful from far away, but when you get up close, you're like, oh, this might it isn't necessarily what I remember it looking like. And I think that's what a lot of us see well, when we look at football. Well, you're, for the Kyle Walker thing, for example, like because you're right. Like there's there's two points to my argument. The main one is being able to 
have the balls to make that sale as popular as it might not be, fuck nostalgia to the side and say, this is the right thing that we need to do. We're going to get the most money for him now. Do it. The part that the fans for Spurs, the reason, like you said, a lot of people called like Levy a snake for selling Walker. That was the right thing to do. And Levy made the right move. The problem is not a lot of people. The second part of my argument is the reinvestment. You need to then take that money and you need to spend it wisely and patch up areas that need to be patched. That's the thing. That's the part that Levy doesn't have the track record of doing. So I think that's why a lot of the fans, when they see, well, yeah, like what was a great bit of business by Levy to get rid of Walker there, a lot of fans then look at it and are like, well, what's Levy going to do? Just take that 50 million and spend it on a new yacht? Like that's the way fans think because he doesn't have the track record of spending our money back into the squad and boosting our squad going forward. Because he doesn't have that track record, the fans don't trust that that's what that they see a big signing or a big sale as in like the way they pictured is that Levy's just going to go like like Scrooge McDuck and take this $50 million and just put it in ones and swim around it and in his pool. Like that's the way they see it. But it's, if, if he had the track record of being like, yeah. Please, gonna... that's Joe Lewis in the Bahamas doing yeah, that totally. in his <laughs> that's how I massive think. yacht pool. Come on. Yeah, Lewis McDuck just swimming in his ones. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is one of those where it's, it's that thing. You got to have the, you, the smart teams are the ones that are able to pull the trigger and get rid of the guys for the most money but then you need to have the back end of that. And that's especially that's going to be so crucial for us at this moment because it is we're going to need the rebuild. And it's like what we did when we sold bail. That was brilliant business. But we took that hundred million and we just treated it like there was it was burning a hole in our pocket. And we just got rid of it as fast as we could. And we got one real player out of that in Erickson and a maybe in Lamella that gave us like a couple of good games here and there and can never stay healthy. But the other five were just like, hey. It was a waste of money. So it's like, yeah, he did part A, which is the brilliant business. But part B is wisely reinvesting that in your squad, especially, and that is so crucial during a rebuild because that's where you can go out and get strong, affordable young players that could be the backbone of your team moving forward. And that's going to be yeah, a, trick. a lot easier said than done. But it's that's why we really need to have a good director of football come in and. Mm-hmm help us scout out some young talent and spend our money wisely back into the club. Snaps to that's, you, Lucas. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's what I've been saying for the last few weeks. Our scouting has got to be a massive priority, not only a director of football, but the scouting has been a very dismal piece of the Tottenham Hotspur uh, organization over the last few years. Um, and it wasn't due to bringing in coaching. It was – just bringing in players that weren't uh, weren't ready for it, or Indombele being Indombele. Let's uh, we're gonna we're not gonna go into all that right now. Uh, we're gonna kind of wrap it up though. I think at the end of the season we have one more week of Tottenham Hotspur at Leeds, so we can all look forward to that. Hopefully we bring home a win, but if we don't, hopefully Leeds stays up and Everton goes down. That's my feelings. Um, but I want to thank Catherine and Lucas for being out again. Hopefully the pod is recorded well and then you guys enjoy listening to it and i also want to say thanks to anthony for scheduling and production notes Catherine and rick for editing thank you again Catherine. charlie for the music sam for social media kimberly for the logo and as always the atlantic bar and grill find us on many platforms including itunes spotify stitcher and many more hit the subscribe button and write us a review and please write us a review on itunes if you if you like our pod or just give us a review if you don't like it 
Uh, check us out on a Twitter and Facebook at fourstars.com. Come on, you Spurs. One more week. Take care.